Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, the lady sitting across from me in a black t-shirt. Good afternoon, (laughs) morning, what is it? Who knows? Just painting a visual picture for everyone at home. Coming up on today's show, the celery juice trend we can't quite escape, the celebrities who have launched one big marriage debate, and the cult-like pull of Instagram sensation Shani Grimmond. But first, Zara, please do tell me, how was your week? (laughs) My week was very frazzled. Mm. I think that is the only word I can... (laughs) Just all over the place. And I tell you what I hate. I hate the shtick of the hot mess because I don't want to pretend that this is some like funny hot mess kind of joke. I just was so overwhelmed and a bit stressed that I kept forgetting things. Like I would call it vague more than anything. I lost my car and I lost my bank card, both without realizing, both taking me 24 hours to realize. So we went to dinner together with a group of friends and you and I decided to Uber home like the basic bitches that we are. <laughs> Very extravagant for people who don't we earn. Absolutely <laughs> could have got the train. <laughs> Not only that, you completely forgot that you were already parked nearby the city anyway. So you got an Uber home and abandoned your car. And got to work, started walking into work and walked past my own car <laughs> and saw a parking ticket on it and thought fucking hell I drove this to work yesterday then two days later I get a call from my bank saying your card your bank card has been handed in 20 kilometers from my house Mm. so yeah that's my week it has been crazy but it's been crazy for good reason has it not yeah it has been a good reason I feel like we've planned a wedding or something in the last five days correct so now tell me how your week was because this will tie in nicely probably one of the most stressful weeks I can remember in a good way. So for anyone who missed it, who's not in our Facebook group, who doesn't follow us on social media, how dare you? We sold out our very first live show in under 10 minutes. So 255 seats gone like that in a flash. You guys crashed the website of the ticket place. Yeah, like not just our page, you crashed the whole website. (laughs) Which... It's going to go to our heads. I'm not going to lie. Zara's no. sitting here looking very chuffed. <laughs> I am very chuffed. Yeah. So obviously that was overwhelming. Like I feel like I'll get emotional if I even speak too much to that little incident because it was a lot and it was really, really exciting. Obviously, we haven't done a live show yet. So we're super excited to do that first live show. And now we have another. Yes. So the night after, which is March 29, it's a Friday night. I nearly said Thursday. Our first show is Thursday. Second show is Friday night. We are doing Shameless Live numero two. 
Yes, and it has been like planning a wedding because we've had to, for numerous reasons, find a different venue. So we've really had to go do this from scratch. And Michelle has been carrying a lot of the load because I've obviously been sitting in an office nine to five, just been fielding phone calls about it. I cannot believe how much goes into event planning. I've done it twice now with two different venues and my head was spinning. I've never – and it's also like – a lot riding on every decision. Well, I tell you what it is. It also doesn't help that in the last month we've had the Fire Festival documentary and the Caroline <laughs> Calloway story. So all I'm thinking is this entire time, this is going to be fucking Fire Festival and this is going to be so embarrassing. Yeah, we're Caroline Calloway 2.0. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that is <laughs> not the case. But for those who really want to come to our second live show, please hop into the Facebook group or our Instagram page. Monday, the day that this episode drops, which from my calculation will be the 11th of February. Sure. (laughs) Hopefully. Jump on those pages. We will put links to the live show in at midday. We've timed it so that you guys can get tickets on your lunch break because that was a little comment last week that we didn't do that and lots of people couldn't get available, be available at 10 a.m. So midday today, if you're listening to it on the day this episode drops, jump in, get a ticket, grab all of your girlfriends because this will be just a good excuse for a night out. The show starts at 8 p.m. So you'll have time to go get dinner in the area and then come to the live show and then maybe go get drinks afterwards. And I know we'll be getting drinks in the area. So maybe we can all do shameless drinks together. (laughs) We need as many friends as we can get. But do come. We would very much appreciate you coming to the show. So it's not just us. Do we have any recommendations for the listeners this week or have we been too frazzled? I have to say the the recommendations that I put in the newsletter I was quite passionate about, which was the main recommendation I had this week was the interview on We Met at Acme with Caroline Calloway. Now that we're talking about it, did you end up listening to that? No. Okay. Can you listen to it? Because I have never flipped between moods so much in listening to one interview. So... Quick bit of context, Caroline Calloway obviously was the influencer who tried to throw a workshop. It went viral because she sort of started not fulfilling any of the things that she promised and she became a viral sensation, not for the good reason. She was interviewed and this interview, she I, I oscillated between feeling feeling for her genuinely because being the center of a viral storm would be fucking awful. Mm. But also she has quite an ego on her and that is very jarring in in my ears because I, you I hate struggle ego. with ego so yep. much. It's weird to sit with both of those feelings at the same time, mm. but I would recommend people listen to that. Just not because you might love her or hate her, but just because it's a fascinating listen. Great. Yeah, we do put all of our recommendations in that newsletter every week. So if you want to subscribe, we will put the link in in our show notes for today's episode. Speaking of the newsletter, I wrote the column in it this week on Thursday because I am just baffled by the cultural pull of celery juice right now. (laughs) I know. And I remember when you flagged it with me, you said earlier in the week, I think I'm going to write about celery juice. And it's sort of one of those things where you realize straight away, yes, I've been hearing about this thing for so long. Why have I been hearing about it and where has it come from? Yeah, so it's been all over my Instagram feed, especially Instagram stories. Lots of my friends and family and loved ones posting photos and videos of them drinking celery juice. Literally just the juice from celery with nothing else. For those who missed it, this is the brainchild of a guy called Medical Medium. That's his moniker. His real name is Anthony William. And he dubs himself this connoisseur of medical mysteries. But... 
but he is not trained in anything. He claims a spirit that he has been in contact with since childhood has given him knowledge of health and wellness beyond what science can confirm. So we are now taking health advice from a guy who is talking to ghosts and that makes me want to laugh, but also what the hell? Yeah, so uh, this is the tricky thing, right, with this topic. I want to mock it because it sounds so ludicrous, but... I have people who are really close to me who swear this has helped them. So I do not ever want to make fun of someone who has legitimately been helped and aided by this theory of salary juice. Because if they're feeling better, if they're walking through life with a lighter disposition, then that's a good thing. But I do think we need to talk about why that might be. No, and I think that's incredibly important. Um, But I think the fact of the matter is it's just lucky in this case that what has gone viral and what has sort of captured the zeitgeist has been something as inoffensive as celery juice. And in this case, it could be anything else. I mean, medical medium has been writing for Goop for a very long time. And according to Goop, William is a force with a devoted following working well outside the bounds of conventional science and medicine. This is where I struggle with because also how much does Goop have to answer for elevating someone like him to not just talk about celery juice but other things too? Yeah, it's interesting you raise that, not just Goop. Obviously, Gwyneth Paltrow heads up Goop. So she needs to answer for something because she has been a massive proponent of pushing celery juice. But also Kim Kardashian, Jenna Dewan, Naomi Campbell and Miranda Kerr have all publicly gotten on this bandwagon of pushing people to drink. I think it's 480 milliliters or 16 ounces of pure celery juice on an empty stomach every morning. For me, it's not even about the celery juice though. Mm. Like I think we're past the celery juice. I think it speaks far more to how we're in this sort of like post-facts, post-truth, alternative facts kind of era where these kinds of things can go viral. I just, I I completely appreciate the fact that that drinking celery can be helpful. Drinking celery, isn't that a funny sentence? Yeah. But I just... uh, There's something that irks me about this so much and it has to do with who's the one pushing it. Yeah. So for anyone who isn't across this or haven't read it, the medical medium promises that pure celery juice drunk on an empty stomach will improve digestive issues, skin conditions, migraines, fatigue, autoimmune illness and brain fog. Now, as I wrote in my column, I think this just comes down to placebo effect, which a lot of people um, came back at me and said, you know what, that's really hard for me to hear. I've really loved drinking celery juice. Why do you have to tell me it's a placebo? And I think they're missing one of the core things about placebos is that placebos are fucking brilliant. They're awesome. And they are, explain a lot, to be honest, yeah. in, when it comes to the ways that we treat ourselves, whether it be for chronic pain or chronic illness, placebos does have a role to play and it, they can be brilliant. Yeah. So placebos obviously involve any medical treatment that is inert. So it could be a sugar pill. It could be anything. It's basically a bogus treatment, but around one third of all people who take placebos will experience an end to their symptoms. It's literally the definition of mind over matter. So your brain can be tricked into interpreting your symptoms of an illness in a different way. So it helps people with IBS and other other illnesses like that deal with it. So when I'm saying that celery juice is a placebo, I'm not saying that you're an idiot because it helps 33% of people. And I think we'd all be at some point someone who has benefited from a placebo. If you have chronic pain or whatever it might be, placebos are crucial to how you get through that. I think I want to look though at why it's celery juice that's taken off so much, right? Because there is something for me that is so performative about green juice. And I think it's all about the intersection between Instagram and wellness. Like green is clean. We know that now. And 
this is not to diss anyone who loves a green smoothie because I've had a green smoothie in my time and this is not personal. But in this Instagram age, green is the color of wellness. And I think we're wearing our food choices like a badge and our food choices can be inherently smug. So I think the rise of celery juice just enforces this idea that that green is wellness and wellness is being thin, mm. kind of. And it's just no surprise that the drink that's gone viral in the last four months is green on Instagram. Yeah, that's absolutely so true. And it's not a bad thing to be drinking more, being more no. hydrated or increasing your veggie intake, absolutely right? Absolutely not. So... While that's fine, if you're drinking celery juice, which I am, by the way, every morning for a column, not because I choose to, it tastes like dishwater, if you ask me. I hate celery. But there's nothing wrong with drinking vegetable juice. There is something wrong with endorsing the idea that a 28-year-old man with zero medical training knows more than doctors and medical professionals. He's not 28. He is. This is the thing, right? So when I researched the column that I wrote on Thursday – I saw 28 written in the New York Times and different publications like that. And I thought, no, he must be 48 or 58. Just because he doesn't look 28. He doesn't look 28. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't at all. He, and maybe that's, maybe that's intentional. Well, I am genuinely floored by that. Yeah. So was I. So was I. But like, let's not get this twisted and promote a really harmful idea that doctors are withholding something from us or are keeping these medical mysteries secret And that random people off the street should be administering health advice and medical advice because they shouldn't. And all science and all medical research points to the fact that celery is no different to really any other vegetable juice that you can drink. Well, Amanda Mull wrote for The Atlantic about the phenomenon. And she said, on a platform like Instagram, where there are a few forces mediating the information that's passed from a celebrity or influencer to her or his followers, it's notoriously easy for health information of questionable veracity to spread like a game of telephone, losing attribution and context as it moves. I think this is crucial. We have lost the desire to source the origin of things, right? So we see something like celery juice. It's seems healthy we hear that somebody called the medical marvel and i'm pretty sure i've just made that Medium, name mate <laughs> i'm pretty sure i've just made that up um is spruiking it and we don't go looking for context we don't go looking to attribute where this has come from and we find ourselves in a complete mess yeah because things do lose context the more they're spread over instagram yeah look the downside of this is that people will be turning away from doctors which is really harmful the upside is that people are drinking celery juice which isn't that bad but I just think people need to be really careful who they listen to and what research they do before they start making important decisions about their health. Yeah, and then also I just want to finish on one note, which could be an unpopular opinion, but I'm just not sure what it is about celery right now. (laughs) Of all the vegetables, it is so vanilla. It is insipid in its taste. It's so unexceptional. It's like I just don't think celery deserves the success. Zara grilling celery will be my favourite moment of this podcast. It's fucking Stephen Bradbury of vegetables. It really is. It's the vegetable that you see in a salad and you pick around intentionally. I hate celery and I'm not embarrassed to admit it. The only way I eat celery is if it's smothered in peanut butter, which I yes, feel like exactly. counteracts <laughs> There we go. It's sorted. Poor celery, celery in the bin. Goodbye, celery. <laughs> Nobody puts baby in a corner. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we will bring you five stories from the news cycle that you may have missed this week. Michelle, it's your turn this week. What have you got for us? Hello. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. (laughs) My first story. Justin and Hayley Bieber open up about their passionate, not always easy, but absolutely all in romance. That is from Vogue. 
This was a surprisingly great story. Superb. Loved this profile. Loved this story from Vogue. So I think it was one of the first times in years that Justin Bieber had been profiled by a big glossy. I think the last time I can remember that he has been profiled was with Katie Weaver in GQ, which was another really great profile. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously a huge um, push for good publicity at this point in their relationship, but I didn't mind it. Like, even if it was a big PR push, they came across like they didn't have their heads not screwed on, which is like a triple negative in that sentence. But they did seem relatively self-aware. Hayley Bieber came across so well in that interview. I feel like she came across like a real shining light in Justin Bieber's life. And they didn't have to paint her like that. I mean, he was painted in the predictable, um, complicated rock star way that has a sex addiction and is not touching drugs anymore and a sort of born again Christian. It's like textbook, isn't mm. it? But they didn't have to paint her as sort of the stable one holding him together. And the one that is very reasoned and logical and rational, they didn't have to do that, which made me think that there must be elements of truth to it. Yeah. And it's so funny that in this era of celebrities pretending that their marriages are flawless and perfect even when they're divorcing i really appreciated both justin and Haley being transparent about the issues in their relationship the fact they see a marriage counselor the fact that they do clash heads and they do fight about furniture and home life that was really appealing to me and that made me think they're stronger than the average celebrity couple this is true they are also very 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 young and I, I did find it curious that they've been married only a couple of months and, and one of the first quotes that they put in um, of Hayley Bieber's, oh God, it feels weird calling her Hayley Bieber, mm. um, was marriage is hard. And you kind of don't hear anyone say marriage is hard until maybe they're about five years down the track. But no judgment from me. I loved that piece. <laughs> Read it. It is. It will surprise you, I think, and I'm sorry to clickbait you about it. I also love that you judge people and always follow it up by saying, I'm not judging, <laughs> but... Like, no offense, but... <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Ed Cavalier hung up on Married at First Sight star Sam mid-interview for being the worst. That's from Pedestrian. Eh, this kind of went over my head. What? I know, because you kept saying watch the video, but it went for like seven minutes and I don't have that kind of time <laughs> in my life. Well, you don't really watch Married at no. First Sight, so I'll catch anyone up on what happened this week in case you don't. There is a groom, Sam, who is supposed to be super attractive. Not my type, but that's fine. He's dubbed as the really hot one. They've paired him with Elizabeth, who is a girl who's very glam, very into eyeliner and fake lashes and hair extensions, the whole shebang, not Sam's type. They purposefully set this guy up with a woman who is not his type. Wait, of are woman. you telling me that Married at First Sight are deliberately trying to sabotage their own contestants? Shocking, <laughs> I know. Anyway, so Sam was a total asshole and left. He left for family reasons. His ex's mum had died. So he left the day after the wedding, which is totally fine. Fair. Of course, leave if you're close with that person. What he didn't do, though, was contact Elizabeth. He did not respond to a text. He did not call her back when she was calling him. He completely ghosted her for the next week and a bit. So she was left in this apartment on this TV show being like, am I, do I have a husband anymore? What, like, where is he? What's going on? He then came back in at the dinner party. I'm realizing how scripted this all sounds when I'm recounting it. (laughs) Sure, he didn't text her. I mean, sure. (laughs) He comes back into the dinner party and was a total douchebag. He did not take accountability for any of his... Why are you rolling your eyes? This is important. Because of course. Yeah. Like, of course, this is how it's played out. Like, I could have written the script to this. I'm Team Elizabeth. Can you tell me what Ed Cavalier did, though? So... Sam's problem is that he's continually talking about Liz's weight. Yes. He's continually saying things like, 
I've never dated girls as big as Elizabeth. When Elizabeth is about a size 10. I was going to say, she looks tiny. (laughs) So they're being really cruel. They keep showing Elizabeth eating like Nutella out of the jar and toasting pizza. Do you not find this relatively problematic? Yeah, of course. I don't know why I keep watching. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. I wish I could turn away, but I'm too weak. Yeah. (laughs) I love the self-awareness onwards. So he kept body shaming Elizabeth in this interview on the radio with Ed Cavalli and kept saying she's too big or I'm not really into that or I want to go running with her. And Ed Cavalli just wasn't putting up with it. He literally said, this guy's the worst. Can we please hang up on him? I'm not putting up with it. Every season of this show, we just go lower and lower and lower in what we expect from people and human decency. And I don't want to deal with this show. I don't want to deal with this guy. They're all shit. And he hung up. And he hung up. Well, good on Ed Cavalli. I'm sure the Married at First Sight producers once again paid Ed Cavalli to do that. <laughs> I'm kidding. They actually wouldn't have, but good move. I feel exhausted after going through all that. Yeah, I'm tired for you. <laughs> Number three, the cast of My Best Friend's Wedding have gloriously reunited 22 years later. That's from news.com.au. This was a glorious cover. Like it was brilliant. You're laughing because you didn't like it. Have you seen the movie? I have a confession. What? I haven't seen the movie. That's why you don't get it. Interestingly, I actually only watched this movie three weeks ago on the way home from um, when I was flying home from overseas and I just put it on because I have terrible taste in film. (laughs) And it was such a brilliant movie and it was such a great cover. I just loved the whole, all of it. But you haven't seen the movie, so there's really not much else to say. I'll tell you, people in our Facebook group loved it. Can you watch the movie though? Yeah, I guess. Is it on Netflix? Where is it? I don't know. (laughs) I'll try to. I'll try to. Number four, Kim Kardashian shares snap of sexy gold leotard dress Kanye West made for her as she hits out at fast fashion brands copying her outfits. Daily Mail. Of course. So this was interesting because she said in... In the caption of the photo straight away, fast fashion brands, um, I'd give you three days to, you know, make this up as a joke because clearly they copy things so quickly. Then did you see what Misguided posted? Yeah, they literally basically said time's running out. This goes on sale this week. They uh, copied the exact dress within hours. Yeah, and then I saw posts in our Facebook group where they, people were pointing out that it was probably photoshopped, that Misguided were probably having a joke, but I just didn't really understand the joke. Mm. But they did sort of show a similar dress that they had clearly maybe photoshopped because how can you make that in three hours? I don't know. I do find it curious that Misguided would even want to identify as a fast fashion brand when that has such a negative connotation in 2019. I get that they are. I I am curious. I know this is a bit of a branch off this story. What is your definition of fast fashion brand? That. Yeah, like online retailers. Not all of them, but ones that pump stuff out very, very quickly. Boohoo, misguided, pretty little thing. Exactly. Yeah, so that's the definition of fast fashion. for me, but I'd love to hear if people want to extend that in our Facebook group because I think there's a discussion there that we haven't quite, or a definition there that we haven't quite nailed. Yeah. When it comes to misguided, I do think there's merit in for brands to be self-aware and self-deprecating, but this just seems like they were shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, I just think to label yourself as that, even though that's exactly what they are, is stupid in this day and age because young women especially are becoming more cognizant of what fast fashion is all about. But then maybe they're not going to change, right? Like maybe Misguided will always have the business model that is fast fashion. And so then why not own it? Why not leverage off Kim Kardashian accusing them of being exactly what they are in order to make sales? I don't know, spitballing. All publicity is good publicity, kind of. 
Yeah, Stick. even though I don't believe that. <laughs> All right, my last story for today's Quick and Dirty. I'm a celebrity's rating slump sees morale fall in the jungle. That's from Daily Telegraph. Now, I put this story in because I am innately interested in the ratings of the major TV programs. So am I. I always have been. So for anyone curious, it is really interesting to compare the ratings of the biggest reality TV shows. So you've got Married at First Sight, which is on Channel 9, averaging 1.1 million followers per episode, which is huge for Australia. You've got My Kitchen Rules on Channel 7, which is getting about 770,000 per episode. And then you've got I'm a Celebrity on Channel 10, getting about 500,000, which is less than half of Married at First Sight. Of all of the things in that list, I'm most surprised that MKR is getting as many viewers as they are because they have not seen it anywhere. Well, see, it's interesting you say that MKR and Married at First Sight were neck and neck last year and the year before. And it feels like Married at First Sight has really put its foot down as the leading reality show in Australia. Why do you think I'm a Celebrity has completely lost all relevancy? Because the cast, nobody knows who's on it. Yeah. I think it's completely dependent on who they have. And I know that sounds obvious but I do think people are invested in the people in the jungle Mm. and I couldn't tell you apart from maybe Shane Crawford who else is is he in there I think I didn't know that exactly I don't know anyone who's in there I don't think I I know um two of the girls from Gogglebox my favorite two Angie um yeah but but I don't even know their name yeah so we don't know who's in there and usually they pull much bigger names than that and they're not getting much out of it like there's nothing no one's really saying anything that's very juicy. Yeah, well, the beauty of that show is when Brendan Favola was on it, he would often say things about his the times in his life that were quite dark and bleak and they would make news stories and it would kind of all build the hype and push the PR machine forward, whereas no one really cares about the personal lives of the people on this show. Well, that's exactly the point. They did have someone like Sam Dastyari, the former politician on there, to sort of play a similar role in that the redemption tour. But the, the mistake they made is that people don't really care about Sam Dastyari's redemption tour because people don't care about politicians. No. So it, that is interesting, though. No surprise about maths, though, being so huge because I can't can't get it off my Facebook feed and I want it off my Facebook feed. I want it all over me everywhere. It's so sick. Next. That's it. Next. Oh, that's today's quick and dirty. You're Very bad. dirty. You're bad. <laughs> Zara, I think I'm a tiny bit too excited about who is sponsoring Shameless Episodes over Feb. This episode is made possible by my favourite app of all time, and I know I say that every time I talk about it, Raze. I did know you were going to say that because you have not stopped chewing my ear (laughs) off about this app since you started using it. So go on, give us your elevator pitch again. Okay, so I've spoken about this app before, but Raze is all about making little savings and turning them into big goals. So it's like a digital money tin. You download the app for free, securely connect it to your bank account, and when you're not even thinking about it, Raze rounds up your purchases with your debit or credit card to the nearest dollar and invests the difference. So it sounds small, but those little amounts really do add up, don't they? Yep. You used it last year to pay for all your Christmas presents. So what are you going to use it for this year? Yeah. So I normally end up with about $600 in my account every six months. I normally save about $100 a month. So I think for the first half of this year, I will pay my rego with my raise money. I don't know for the second half, probably Christmas presents again. What about you? I might get my hair done because it's starting to get so expensive, this fake blonde business. So that will be my (laughs) savings goal. Amazing. That sounds interesting. Thank you so much, Therese. That is R-A-I-Z. 
R A I Z, right? Yes, for sponsoring this episode of Shameless. As with any micro investing app, Raise carries normal market risk, so make sure you read the product disclosure statement before you get on board. Thank you, Raise. If there's ever a week to talk about the ins and outs of taking your husband's surname after marriage, this is it. Days after actress Priyanka Chopra announced she has adopted her husband Nick Jonas's surname, Liam Hemsworth revealed on a talk show that his new wife, Miley Cyrus, is actually now Miley Hemsworth. Zara, how do you feel about this? And when you get married one day, if anyone is game enough to marry you, <laughs> will you take on your husband's surname? Um, good question. How do I feel about those two cases in particular? I don't feel anything because I don't think I have the right to feel anything about somebody else's personal decision. Would I take somebody else's surname? No. No, I absolutely wouldn't. I've always said I wouldn't because of the nature of this job. I mean, as a journalist and as a writer, our bylines are kind of our whole career. And for my byline to change, that's quite a massive thing. But then I started thinking as we were prepping for this segment, if I wasn't a journalist, would I change my name? No, I wouldn't. Would you? I have no idea. Mm. I'm so torn. I don't think I'll change my name for the same reasons. Professionally, it doesn't make much sense to go from Michelle Andrews if I married Mitch, which I hope we do. Mitchell, like to be also, Michelle. Also, you both end up with the, basically the same name. Yeah, it's pretty similar. But Michelle Rees would then be. <laughs> Mich- <laughs> Your couple name could easily be Michelle Rees. Literally, it's really sad. So I will give a bit of background on this before we move on from Priyanka and from Miley Cyrus. So Priyanka has gone for the double barrel option. She is now Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Miley is keeping her surname as is professionally, so she'll still release albums and records under Miley Cyrus, but privately and legally, she will be Miley Hemsworth. So Liam, when he was on this talk show, said, she took my name, which is great. I think that was one of the best things about getting married. Interesting. I think it's foolish for us to pretend that it doesn't matter. Um, And I think that's sort of the trap that we have maybe all fallen into in the last few years in that... We are women, we are free, we make our own choices, it doesn't matter. I think for so long I kind of thought I don't really care what I do so it doesn't matter. But in reflect, but on reflection I think it does matter, not because it's personal. So whoever, whatever decision anyone wants to make, it's absolutely not personal. Not this discussion, not anyone's decision because I don't think it's our business. But I do think it's worth us having a conversation about why people decide what they decide. Yeah, I think... It's very common for women to minimize this. And I think that's not our own fault. I think that's the position that we've kind of been cornered into that we often downplay the topic of whose name do you take or do you keep your own as being more important to the man and more important to the man's family than it is to us. We always throw around the idea that we just don't care about this. Like quotes like, oh, it's more important to him and I'm not fast or it's just the most convenient we'll have the one name or he's the only one who can carry on his family's legacy. And I just think, what about your name? Do we not care about this because we literally have no other option? Is that the only narrative we've been told? You can't care about this because this is how things are done. Well, what interests me or what I feel the most in this kind of conversation is for people that do take their partner's name, I 
don't blame them in any shape or form. And in fact, I would never, ever rule the possibility out because I don't think it's on us as individuals to dismantle a construct that's existed for centuries. Like that is completely unfair. And again, when we're talking about this conversation, we're assuming the responsibility lies with us as women. We're completely forgetting that men play a part too and they could just as equally dismantle us too, but we're just so riddled with guilt about whatever we do. Mm, It's funny you say that. I was reading a great piece on this in The Cut, which we will definitely put in the show notes today. And it was talking to a whole range range of men who chose to adopt their wife's surname instead of their own. And this one man gave a really good quote. He said, if it's so important to me that my wife and I share a name, I should be the one to give mine up, which is an interesting flip on it because we always talk about how important this is to men's legacies and men's stories and family lineage. But if it is so important that you want to have the same name and you all want to be in unison and unified together, why don't you make the choice to change it? We still make such a fuss as well when men do change their names. And I know that's just because it's the anomaly still. But I think we do need a whole wave or a generation of men to feel comfortable doing that. And I think we're still at a point where people laugh at that idea. People do joke around about it as if it's not a serious possibility that that a guy could change his name. No, we absolutely are. So in Australia, a bit of facts, my favorite thing, in Australia, more than 80% of women take their husband's name. So we will be in the minority for sure if we choose to keep our own. Children taking on patrilineal surnames is totally the norm. So 96% of children are given their father's name, irrespective of what the mum does with her name. And I know that's on local soil, but I think it's worth recognizing this on an international scale that even... Even in the US, 50% of people in the US think it should be a legal thing, that you should have to change your name as a wife to your husband. Yeah, in Japan, it is the law that you take your husband's name. You're not allowed to keep your own name as a woman. You have to be absorbed into your husband's surname. No, like I said at the very start of this segment, I generally and genuinely don't care what individuals do, but I do reject the idea that taking someone else's name or taking a husband's name, and I know we're talking in in full hetero speak now, um, but I reject the idea that a woman taking a man's name is inherently feminist. If you want to take it, take it by all means. But I just think we're also going to get, the waters are going to get very muddied and very confused if we pretend that it's a feminist choice because it's not. Do you think people do pretend that it's a feminist choice? I think people try to have the conversation under the umbrella of feminism, wondering what is the feminist choice. And to be honest, the feminist choice is not taking the name, but that doesn't make it the right choice. Mm. The other thing that I did want to bring into this, because I did just mention this conversation is pretty hetero, is that I think the legality of gay marriage in this country in particular, I mean, it's only been legal for a year, could do a lot for this conversation in the coming years. We actually should be looking to same-sex couples far more and taking page out of their book. How are they deciding to do this? What are they doing? I think there's so much we can learn from a couple that sit on completely equal playing fields who are making those decisions and seeing how they're having those conversations. Yeah, I'd actually really love for anyone who is in a same-sex couple to please tell us in the Facebook group, what what type of conversations have you guys had around this? What do you want to do? Because I do find that dynamic really interesting but don't you think there's a complete lack in this conversation and we are both straight so it's it's hard for us to have it but don't you think there's a complete lack in this general universal conversation of gay voices and Mm. I think that's to our detriment because I think these are the kinds of people we should be hearing from so I would love to hear from people in our Facebook group about how these conversations go about yeah absolutely that's shameless podcast community if you're not already in there I have had this conversation about 
taking on your husband's name or not so much, especially with my sisters, Claire and Evelyn. Claire's engaged and I think she is planning to take on um, her future husband's name, which of course I'm totally fine with that. I don't think it is my place to ever judge anyone else's decision or with what they do. Or even have an opinion on it. No, it's not, my, it's not my role to have an opinion. And then I also have friends who are in relationships with someone from a different ethnic background and we've had that conversation as well that about identity, that if you're adopting a surname that doesn't feel like it's you and it doesn't look like you that's a really big thing there was a great piece perfectly timed for this segment in the New York Times this week by journalist Sally Ho and she was talking about names and identity and what if the last name doesn't feel like you should you really take it on or should you have an Anglo-Saxon name or an Asian surname in her case it is a really muddy territory to really look into but I think it is really important to ask why because I think names are more than just names which We as women, we constantly want to downplay this as if it's not important and it doesn't matter. But to me, this says a lot about legacy. Why is it always that the man's legacy is the more important one, the one that should be taken on and carried and continued? Because if we continue to promote men's legacies over women's, are we, and this is a legitimate question, not a, not a rhetorical question, are we reinforcing the idea that men's stories are more worthy, more significant? Well, I think it depends, and this is so layered, but I think it depends on whether we see this as semantics and how much sort of uh, emphasis we put on symbolism, right? So how much how much can we consider something as different from its origin? So when I say that, I mean, how much can we take my dad walking me down the aisle as just an act rather than as separate to its original purpose, which was him to, as my owner, hand me to my new owner. A lot of people are able to separate that and say, well, we've come so far. I'm able to see that act as very different to its original purpose. I care about symbolism. I do desperately care about symbolism and semantics, but that's me and that's personal. And what interests me, because this is sort of what made me, you know, flip back and forth a little bit in Vogue last year or the year before, Pandora Sykes wrote about this exact issue. And she interviewed a woman who was a professor and author called Stephanie Kuntz. And Kuntz said that changing our name isn't as big a deal as we might like to think. And because she says it doesn't denote that you are beholden anymore, despite the discrimination that still goes on for women, ours is an upward trajectory. Mm. And I thought that's another interesting perspective because I think now it comes down to whether you value symbolism and whether you value semantics. Yeah, well, this is the internal battle I'm having. Where do romance and feminism intersect? Because I am a feminist, but I am the biggest romantic like I I am such a soppy gross romantic person yeah I know it makes me me sick (laughs) so for me when we have this conversation I kind of do want to fit under the one umbrella with my family and I can't and I do want to share a name with my kids and I do want all of those things and I think it's really delightful to hear about families being that united team under the one name I just wish it wasn't always that that one name is expected to be the man's because I already feel like that it's either I have one option, which I keep my own name and my kids go under another name or I go under that name. Well, I think it's dependent on what you value more. Do you value your independence and your identity or do you value your identity as part of a couple? Mm -hmm. And I think you do value your identity as 
an entity by herself, right? And it doesn't mean that you're still not part of a team and it doesn't mean that that kind of romance escapes you or you don't get to be part of it anymore. I just I just don't see that. I feel like you're my psychologist right now. <laughs> but I think that's, I mean, I've definitely weighed up the same things. Like, of course you want to have the same name as someone that you love desperately. I also asked my mum, who took my dad's name, about why she changed her name because I'd never really properly asked her. And she was pretty candid in that she's took it because she didn't really know how to ask to not. Mm. And it, that was kind of the conversation. She she needed to know what words to use. She needed to know how to have that conversation. And she just kind of didn't know how, so she didn't. And then I asked her if she was if it was now. If she got married now, would she would she keep her name? And she was like, 1,000%, I would not change my name if I got married now. So I think that's very interesting too, in that now that we have the words to talk about it, we can. Yeah, I have done a lot of reading on this before we recorded this segment and a lot of women were interviewed about whether or not they would change their decision and almost every person I read who changed their name when they got married in the 70s or 80s or whatever regretted that decision and wished mm. they'd kept their own name because they miss it they feel some type of nostalgia for that person that they were before they got married well Jill Filipovich wrote for the Guardian one of the best sentences that I've read on this matter and all about what it has to do with identity and she said identities matter and the words we put on things are part of how we make them real And I think for a lot of people, and for me included, I don't know who I would be without this name. And maybe that's just very close-minded of me or stubborn, but that's how I feel. I feel like this very literally splits our lives in two and defines our lives in two parts if we have to change our names. The, The part before marriage and the part after marriage, as if the marker of our lives are the identities we have before we're married and after that that's crazy to me Mm. and if you obviously have changed your name I mean we've stressed this again but we're not judging you no matter what some of the nearest and dearest people to me have made this decision recently and it's totally up to you and I still wouldn't rule it out I mean I'm pretty sure I wouldn't do it but I couldn't I could never say never I still feel like I I think I will keep my own name but I will not rule out the possibility of privately changing my name and professionally oh that's just a hassle what about the old hyphen business no andrews reese reese andrews yeah that's not gonna work i wouldn't rule out a hyphen people roll their eyes and laugh at me when they say that but i genuinely wouldn't eventually rule out a hyphen would they hyphen that's the conversation too that i would need to eventually yeah it is interesting when the wife hyphens and the husband just keeps his yeah that's mm, i know right (laughs) anyway clearly a lot in this please come to our facebook group and talk to us about this whoever you are whatever decision you've made or whatever conversation you might be in the middle of having about this because your your opinions might be far better than ours at the moment because we're not getting married yeah and you know what i'd be interested to hear from people who didn't change their name do you regret that now do you wish you did change your name like we want all different perspectives on this i have heard from mums who do regret changing their names for the reason that maybe it's been a hassle with kids so Come to the Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. If there's one name that's popped up more than ever in our Facebook group this week, it's the name of Shani Grimmond. The 21-year-old YouTuber has more than 1.4 million followers on Instagram and is dominating conversation at the moment for no concrete reason at all. Michelle, please enlighten us. Why is everyone talking about Shani Grimmond now more than ever? In a nutshell, Shani Grimmond is the it girl of Australia. Ooh. I know that's a big call to make, but big swing. she is. So I have been following Shani Grimmond 
before this is confronting probably seven or eight years really yeah i used to follow shani when she was big on tumblr people might remember the tumblr handle vans and spray tans (laughs) that's amazing that was shani yes i followed her no i have no shame she was huge. She was uh, always posting about her relationships, of course, and doing really honest Q&As on that platform. I was a Tumblr fiend. If you were to please join with me because I feel like we're a very rare bunch. She was, yeah, she was always posting photos of herself and she had really long brown hair. And I think she has a look that is slightly different to other girls that we see in the mainstream. She's got a really... Um, interesting she's beautiful very interesting different look to most women in the mainstream do you still follow her on instagram yeah i follow her everywhere i'm subscribed (laughs) to her on youtube i follow her on instagram because as someone who loves pop culture and loves celebrity shiny grimmond i know but i've never followed her on anything in fact i still don't like how would you explain her in a nutshell why is there so much hype around her um so she's kind of a mixture between a beauty influencer and a daily vlogger kind of personality i think i actually see her in the same vein as reality tv stars she is almost Mm. that kardashian brand of influencing and beauty and relationships and life she kind of enmeshes a whole range of things into the one brand and because she has shown us so much and she has launched her personal life into the public sphere her relationships family friends the public feels a sense of ownership over her and her personal life. And it means everyone's very invested. So when she has a new relationship, everyone feels invested. Her friendship group, everyone feels invested. This is what I find interesting, right? Because if you, this is another question I have, which is probably. I love that I'm the Shani Grimmond expert. (laughs) (laughs) You know far more about this than I do, but I still am interested in Shani as a brand for sure. When you talk about the fact that she has built a following and built a brand of being able to share every part of herself and, and being able to expose her vulnerability to the masses does that mean that when things do happen maybe a friendship a high profile friendship falls apart she has a responsibility in your opinion to divulge the details of that no I'm actually really impressed because for anyone who's missed it there has been a bit of a a relationship breakup between Shani and her very close friend so say the rumors yeah I think that's been pretty obvious I think that friendship capitulated And it became this bubbling hot pot of gossip. And the best possible thing these two women could have done, the other woman is Chloe Zepp, if you guys follow her on Instagram as well, is do exactly what they've done. They've handled it really well. Because I think maybe they're probably 21, 22 now, I think. If this happened a couple of years ago when they're a bit younger, a bit newer to the whole uh, public identity scene, they may have just spilled their guts on YouTube and done a full Q&A and answered every question about why they're not friends anymore. But I don't think they owe it to us to tell us about why that friendship fell apart because you have to keep some things private for your own mental sanity. And I don't think influencers should have to give up their own mental health and well-being for for us to have some type of gossip popcorn eating bitch fest yeah exactly I think it's a really clever decision that they both said nothing and I think that's how they should keep it for a really long time because it would only feed this machine well I think when we talk about women and young women in particular whose lives are fodder for public consumption we're assuming that every single part of their life is fodder for public consumption which is not the case I am sure there is a lot of stuff that she holds to her to herself so when I asked you that question I was interested to hear what you had to say I completely agree I do not think they owe 
anyone an explanation, whether it's a friendship breakdown or a relationship breakdown. I think some things for their own sanity, they have to keep to themselves. Yeah, well, we've said this before and we're going to say it again in our Thursday episode that's dropping this week, but the only thing influences OS is do no harm. Yeah. Do not actively affect the mental health, well-being happiness of your followers I think do not put their lifestyle in jeopardy or their health in jeopardy something Shani Grimmond has done have been controversial she's very public about lip fillers and plastic surgery and binge drinking to a certain extent so things like that have kind of marred her brand with a little bit of controversy but in my opinion Shani Grimmond is one of the most influential people in Australia full stop across any sphere across any industry because she has the eyes and ears of an entire generation of young women fixated on her. So it blows my mind because I agree with that. When you do a quick Google search on someone with the pull and hold a Shani Grimmond, there is not a profile written up on her. There is no cultural analysis. There's nothing. And I think it speaks so much to how unaware the mainstream media are about the power of influencers and how dismissive we are of, of like the pink quote unquote millennial dollar. Like we don't care about what millennial women care about, or even it's not even millennial. Sorry. It's, it's Gen Z. We don't care about their interests and we never have. Yeah. So this came up in our Facebook group during the week and I I do want to give examples because when we say that Shiny Grimmins huge, lots of listeners come back at us and say, well, lots of women have 1.4 million followers in Australia. Why does that make her influential? The number one metric of influence, in my opinion, is engagement rate. Of course, followers come into that. But if your engagement rate, which is how often people like or comment or share your posts, that determines your pull. And Shani's engagement rate is 7.17%. For 1.4 million followers, that's an average of 100,000 likes per post on social media, hundreds and hundreds of comments, and that is huge. Compared to the average, which is between like 0.5 and 3%, Shani Grimmond has managed to cultivate this intense and unrelenting interest in what she's doing, what she's wearing, what she's posting. I think someone like Shani, and it's not just Shani, I think. It, it goes to the people that she's friends with and that sort of influencer community. The hold that they have on millennial and Gen Z consumerism cannot be underestimated. I mean, they dictate not just what we buy when it comes to Instagram ads and Instagram brands, but they capitalize on what they know about us. And I would bet that they know a fuckload about who their followers are and what they do in order to launch businesses and invest in their next steps. They invest in their future based on us. And I think that is having a direct impact on the things that we buy, the things we invest in ourselves. Yeah. So what you were talking to then is obviously the idea of the squad, which I feel like Shani Grimmond has really launched in Australia. So she has a friendship group and the cultural clout of Shani Grimmond's friendship group should not be underestimated. They are all influencers, the ones in the public eye. They have followings that reach probably 10 million if you if you plussed all their YouTube and Instagram subscribers together. Same as my friends. Yeah, same here, guys. <laughs> totally. Me and Zara, 10 million. So there's Shani Grimmond, Michael Finch, Lily Brown, and Rani Bransby. Huge. Huge, 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 huge. So the reason we're talking about this is that no one else is because it's put down as this frivolous, silly influencer business no one talks about the key people talking to our teenage girls and this group is it how much do you think the kardashians have to answer here i know we always seem to want to come back to the kardashians but i don't think that again we can underestimate how much the kardashians have a hold in our beauty and airbrush culture and the fact that the women we are sort of admiring in our own local cultural landscape aren't that different to the vibe of the kardashians in terms of beauty in terms of 
plastic surgery, in terms of um, clothing, fashion. I think that if we're talking about the Kardashians as the massive players, that message is being funneled down into Australia through people like Shani and and Chloe and Lily, and I'm going to try to remember the other people in that list. (laughs) But I do think there's something to say about that too. Yeah, I think there is a huge similarity between Shani Grumman's brand and someone's brand, maybe like Kylie Jenner, the lip filler and the boob job and everything like that. I mean, the Kardashians are much more discreet about what they do to their body. This is a conversation we've had in the past and I'm sure we'll keep having. I'm not sure if it's better to be open about your plastic surgery and promote that as the norm for 18 to 21-year-olds or I'm not sure if it's better to not tell anyone and just pretend that that's how your body was built and that you're genetically blessed. They are very open about it. They're constantly doing vlogs about their lip injections and everything like that. I think it is a conversation to keep having. I'm not sure it's necessarily the best influence on young people, but at least they're not pretending that's the way they're born. No, there's that. And I actually still don't know where I sit on this. I still think I sit on the side of the fence that I would almost prefer it to be subtle, but even still, I don't know what the most helpful thing is. I do just think it speaks to a lot about what we value in 2019, which is sort of like that photoshopped face. And I don't even mean literally. I mean, we kind of starting to value these faces that don't even look like my face. Mm. Your face specifically? Well, you know, all of our faces. And I think that's where this is, it's a hard conversation to have and it's a hard point to make. But like you said, still worth raising that if a woman or a squad, I hate that word, Mm. has that much clout and they all sort of look a similar way, what's that going to say about us? And what's that saying about the generation coming behind us? Yeah, I mean, to her credit, she hasn't said anything that's openly offensive or damaging damaging to young women. I think it's all um, in a bit of a gray area, which we're going to discuss about any influencer anyway. So I don't think she's done anything to merit the amount of hate and backlash that she does get, which is intense. It is so much. Oh my God. The level of hate directed towards Shani Grimmond and Michael Finch, which a lot of the Michael Finch feedback is very homophobic and disgusting, but it's just not okay. I just feel like these people are really young and they've cultivated these incredible audiences. But yeah, they're going to fuck up. People mm. are going to fuck up. And yes, people like you and me should hold them to account and talk about what they're doing and analyze it. But some people just are so nasty well, on social media. Forgiveness is very important in these kinds of scenarios, particularly when we're talking about people that are this young mm. and whose mental health can be incredibly fragile when you get that famous that quickly that young. Mm. So that genuinely terrifies me that, that they are the center of that much hate. But even still, I think it's worth us acknowledging the power that these people have because nobody else is acknowledging it. Yeah, and if anyone's got power in Australia right now, I think it is Shani Grimmond. And it'll be interesting to see how the year unfolds for her because she has gone through a lot in the public eye and it does seem like she's beginning to retreat and keep the personal personal. I hope she does and I hope that people let her do that too. Yeah. I think that's all we've got time for. Oh, that was a quick turnaround. I think it is too. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to episode 46 of Shameless. So many episodes. If you guys want to continue the conversation, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We are also on Facebook, Shameless Podcast Community. And we will obviously be everywhere because we are selling tickets this (laughs) afternoon at 12 o'clock Melbourne time. We should actually say 12 o'clock Melbourne time for the Melbourne live show. Please buy one. I don't know if I can beg 
anymore. And apart from all of that, we will be back in your ears on Thursday yeah. for a very special In Conversation episode. Laura Henshaw. <laughs> I know a lot of you will be really excited about that. Laura Henshaw is our guest on Thursday. I'm super excited to meet everyone. So come to the live show. We're going to do meet and greets with people. We're not celebrities. Please don't think that we're wankers. We're going to meet and everyone have an actual conversation Michelle's with you a pretty guys. big wanker, but when I'm next to her, it sort of doesn't look as much so. <laughs> you balance it out. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it back no, to her. No, we will be at the live show talking to you all, and we can't wait to see all your faces there and meet you and thank you for giving us this platform and this job really yeah so true we will see you guys on thursday bye guys hello guys mish here i am the co-founder of shameless media Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.